Hello, I'm Al Dashino, and welcome to the 15th episode of Of Interest. Today is November 12th, 2020, and this week I'm going to talk about some encouragement I found from one of the Lord's parables, share an interesting article about some big words, an interesting resource to find some amazing resources, and then we'll continue our interesting study of John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress by exploring Bunyan's love for the Bible and how it sustained him through difficult times. Hey everyone, just a quick note before we jump into the podcast, I can really use your help in growing the reach uh, of the podcast here. I, I know it's weird, I keep I keep asking this, but it, my other online persona, that 3D printer guy, it's growing in leaps and bounds. It's almost hard to keep up with all the new subscribers and comments and requests, but this one keeps hitting a wall. And I'm pretty sure it's because Facebook, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, and all the rest of the places I share my Art of the Christian Ninja stuff, it suppresses the posts, so they never see the light of day. So that means that the only way that this podcast is going to get shared is through grassroots, word of mouth, sharing. And so, may I request, or can I challenge you, if you like this podcast, would you please share it with your friends, your online chat groups, maybe even your church? And second, if there's some reason why you don't want to share, would you let me know? Is there something about the podcast that needs improving or changing to make it more shareable? I'd really like to hear from you so I can make the podcast better and better. It's not that I want to become popular or anything. I put all my content out for free and I know I'm going to be small potatoes and and, and I'm okay with that. It's just that I think that what I'm doing here has some value. It can help some people and I'm frustrated that I can't figure out a way to let people know that I exist just to even give them the choice to listen or not. And so I'm turning to you. It would really help me out if you would share and if you'd send me your feedback so I can make this podcast better. Thank you. This week, I'd like to start off by sharing a passage that spoke to me during my devotional time. It's from Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. It's the parable of the barren fig tree. Let me read it to you. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he said to him, Sir, let it alone for this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Most of you know that I've been going through a bit of a rough patch over the past well, you know, let's say like while, and I'm in a transitional period in my life right now. A whole lot of things in my life have changed and it's been hard to find a foothold. And I won't go over it all here because I've talked about it in previous episodes. But one of the effects is that uh, of all this change is that, you know, sort of the uncertainty inside me has meant I haven't felt very fruitful. And I'm sure I'm not alone. During this COVID pandemic, I keep seeing post after post from pastors and denominations and Christian thinkers who keep talking about all the Christians that have lost touch with their church families, their ministries, preachers and teachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and nursery workers and music- musicians who, who can't live out their giftings, they can't live out their passions, and as the day wears on, it's having a negative effect. Elderly people who absolutely loved being with their church family, watching the children run around, listening to the old, old story once again, they're stuck at home. 
for weeks and weeks and weeks because now their favorite place in the world, their church, has become a high-risk environment. Children and teens who were trying to grow in their faith were developing their spiritual gifts and who are facing daily temptations beyond their capacity, understanding and strength. Uh, they can no longer lean on their teachers and their youth group leaders like they once did. Suddenly their spiritual life preservers, those weekly touchstones that help them stay on the straight and narrow like youth group and Sunday service and music practice and drama practice and running the PowerPoint and the sound, it's, it's all but gone and they feel more alone than ever. Addicts and people suffering with mental illness who are able to lean on the church, connect with more mature believers, come face to face with people struggling with the same issues, but who also love God and have a Christian worldview, they're disconnected too. And all those who minister to these people, professionally or otherwise, have an internal ache and maybe this even sense of guilt and a growing fear because the people they love, that they want to serve, that they keep praying for, that, that they want to go help, they're almost out of reach because of so many worldly barriers that are in the way. And it makes a person feel miserable. It makes them feel fruitless, like that tree from the parable. But here's what I noticed there, and I want to show you three things. First, I was reminded that God does desire fruit. John 15, the passage where Jesus is the vine and God's the vine dresser, it's all about this. God has put us into the world to bear fruit, the fruit of obedience, of repentance, of generosity, sharing our faith, gaining new converts, peacemaking, all the fruit of the Spirit. God expects fruit from our lives. And in this parable, God's the owner of the vineyard, and he says he's sick and tired of looking at a fig tree that won't bear fruit. He's ready to rip it out of the ground. Like John 15, where God prunes off the dead branches of the vine. In context, the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. And just like when Jesus curses the fruitless fig tree during the Passion Week, it's the same deal. He's given them a warning that their religion is corrupt, it's dead, their hearts are far from him. They've become not only useless, but enemies of God. They're under judgment, under damnation. And it's a warning. It's coming. Judgment is coming. All that reading, the first part of that parable, it really made me feel guilty, ashamed, afraid. Maybe you felt this way too. But second, notice that the vine dresser, the advocate, the mediator between the fig tree and the owner is there. That's Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. He's our mediator. He's the one who demonstrates and reminds the people not only of the justice of God, but also of his loving kindness, his patience, his generosity. It's a reminder that the just God of the universe, even though he has the right to judge me as a fruitless sinner, is also amazingly patient and gracious, willing not only to condemn and destroy sin, but to rescue sinners from it. I'm so glad for the advocate. But third, notice that the vine dresser, that mediator, Jesus, doesn't just advocate with words. He works with and for the fig tree. He says, okay, I see potential there. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with this tree, and I think it just needs a little encouragement, a little food, a little TLC, some special attention, and then I think it'll grow. I'll take care of it. I'll give it special attention. I'll, I'll see that it bears fruit. And that thought almost brought me to tears. To, to hear the words of Jesus saying to God, to, to me, about me, yeah, you know what? He's in rough shape. He's, he's not really doing what, you know, he was called to do. He's not working in the giftings that you gave him. He's, he's sort of a fruitless tree right now, but I still love him. Yeah, we can blame the environment. 
there wasn't enough rain. There was too many bugs. It messed up the leaves. Uh, the soil that was planted wasn't very great. But I still think that he's worth something. Let me work with him. Let me work with you. Nourish you. Water you. Give you food. And then see what I can do with you. I hope you hear that today. Maybe you feel like that. Your environment isn't helping. You've been spiritually dry. You've had the bugs of temptation and demonic oppression all over you. And your soil, the church, the Christians around you, weren't necessarily all that helpful. But that's not going to stop Jesus from working with you. Working with me. Guiding, feeding, helping, growing, making us bear fruit. And of course, as a good Reformed theology guy, I have to point out that the tree didn't do anything to help or deserve this. It just stood there. It needed the vine dresser to do the work, and it will be the vine dresser who gets the glory when the fruit comes. And that's good. It means I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to try extra hard. I don't have to feel guilty or lay blame. It means I just need to allow Jesus to feed and water me. And that means spending time in prayer, study, meditation, connecting with other believers as best I can. Jesus will do the work. All you have to do is let him. And that brings me great comfort. And I hope it does for you too. This week's interesting article is entitled, Don't Play With the Meaning of Words, by R.C. Sproul on the Ligonier Ministries blog. This was really, really neat because I learned some new words. Uh, I learned the words univocal and equivocal, 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 and they're pretty neat. Okay, to be fair, the interesting article is actually a video and it mostly inspired me to look into stuff, but still, I'm going to play the whole clip for you. But before I do, I just want to give you a bit of an intro. The word univocal or univocal, I don't know how to say it, means a term that has only one meaning. Uni, one, vocal, from the Latin word vox, meaning voice. One voice, a word that has one voice. It's a word like black or tree. Words that have the same meaning no matter where you use them. Univocal. The word equivocal means a term that has a bunch of meanings. Equi, or equal, vox, voice. It essentially describes something that has the same sound, but ambiguous meaning, or several different meanings. For example, the word bat. If I say I have a bat in my attic, you don't know what I mean. You might think it's an animal, but it might be a baseball bat or an unpleasant old woman, you know, that old bat. Okay, so I'm going to play the clip because it's great. And R.C. Sproul is an amazing teacher. So just let me, let me play it. Equivocal language is language where the, the meaning of the term changes dramatically in the course of the conversation. I illustrate this when I teach logic to my seminary students and teach them the fallacy of equivocation. And I show them the, tech, the fallacy of, of equivocation by proving that, uh, squirrel, or that cats have nine tails. Do you remember the time I proved to you, Roger, that cats have nine tails? We're going to do it again. My first premise in my syllogism is this. No cat has eight tails. Do you agree with that, Roger? You've never seen a cat with eight tails, have you? Okay, well, I'm going to prove to you that cats have nine tails. 
No cat has eight tails, right? Now here's my question. If I have two boxes up here, and one box has a cat in it, and the other box is empty. Got an empty box here, and a box with a cat in it here. Now, I'm going to test your knowledge of arithmetic and mathematics. How many more cats are in this box, Roger, than are in this box? One. Thank you very much. How many more cats' tails are in this box than in this box? One. One. And how many cats are in this box? Zero. Zero. I got no cat in this box and one cat in this box, right? So I have one more tail in this box than I have in this box. So I say here, one cat has one more tail than what? No cat. Now this is just a simple matter of deduction. If no cat has eight tails, and one cat has one more tail than no cat, then how many tails does one cat have? QED, right? Eight and one makes what? Nine. So one cat, then the conclusion, by resistless logic, is that one cat has nine tails. Now, I tricked you. And what was the trick? What happened in this line of reasoning? The meaning of this term, no cat, changes in the middle of the discussion. It means something completely different here than it means here, and that's called the fallacy of equivocation. Now, why does this matter? Theologically speaking, according to Thomas Aquinas anyway, we can neither speak univocally nor equivocally when we're talking about God. In the first place, we can't use equivocal words, meaning words with many meanings, because to try to describe God with those means nobody will know what we're talking about. That makes sense, right? But Aquinas also says we can't speak univocally about God. We can't use words that only have one meaning, because God's existence and his properties are so different than ours, so beyond our capacity to understand that even when we use words like good and wise and holy, we're still not even close to speaking the truth about God, because those words all come from our human perspective, and our human definition of good could never encompass the actual goodness of God. Our human understanding of wisdom can't even touch the kind of wisdom God possesses. Aquinas argued that when we talk about God, the best language we can use is analogical, an analogy, to be analogous. It's a term that conveys one or more characteristics that exist between two ideas. For example, God is like a potter. He molds, he creates, he designs whatever he wants. Jesus is like a shepherd protecting, sacrificing, feeding, caring for the sheep. The Holy Spirit is like wind. We don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know what makes it go. We can't control it. But it certainly has a powerful effect, just like the person of the Holy Spirit. I thought this was just something so cool to share this week, and a good reminder of how huge God is, that our language, no matter how hard we try, can never truly describe him.
In each of these podcasts, I also want to bring you an interesting resource, something that will give you the tools and inspiration you need to pursue a deeper, consistent, and more meaningful relationship with God. And this week's interesting resource kind of piggybacks on the interesting article, and it's called Ligonier Ministries. I highly recommend checking out Ligonier.org, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. It's an absolute treasure trove of amazing books and videos and devotionals and apps and blog posts. Some of the greatest Christian thinkers, historians, and theologians of the past and today contribute materials to Ligonier. The, the, the most famous probably being the late R.C. Sproul, who was in the clip. He's an absolute powerhouse of theological, philosophical insight. No matter what part of Christian theology or history you want to learn, Ligonier.org has a trusted, excellent, interesting resource for you. I cannot recommend them highly enough. The last part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog, and don't worry about being behind. We're going super slowly, and I really want it to sink in. But this is the last week we're going to be in the forward, so if you have a friend that might be interested, now is a great time to join us, because next week we're going to start the actual book. Yes, 15 episodes in, and we're finally getting to page one. That is just how I roll. This week, we're looking into the fifth and final section of John Piper's more pastoral section about how John Bunyan's suffering produces such a deep and spiritually powerful writer. His last point is that Bunyan's suffering deepened in him a confidence in the Bible as the word of God and a passion for biblical exposition as the key to perseverance. Now, as a preacher, or a former preacher, Bible teacher, I don't know what I am now, but I digress. This section was inspiring and humbling. The version that we're going to be reading has little footnotes all along that kind of point to some of the scriptures that inspired the analogies or inspired the stories, but they're not even close to comprehensive. This book absolutely drips with scripture. I'm, I'm sure they only picked the big ones because otherwise every other word would have a little superscript number connected to it. Now, I remember reading that passage about when Christian and Hopeful were captured by the giant despair of Doubting Castle and locked in prison. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but suffice to say, it wasn't a good time. But by our story standards, you know, the ones that we're used to, the resolution of that whole dramatic epic was pretty anticlimactic. After many days of misery, Christian suddenly remembers he has a key in his pocket that'll open the prison doors. I'll read the passage that Piper quotes. What a fool I'd been to lie like this in a stinking dungeon when I could have just well walked free. In my chest pocket I have a key called promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then, said Hopeful, that is good news. My good brother, do immediately take it out of your chest pocket and try it. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock in the dungeon door, and as he turned the key, the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease so that Christian and Hopeful immediately came out. Now, the analogy is pretty apparent. The key is scripture. It's hidden in the Christian's heart, in his chest. 
And having scripture hidden in our heart or memorized, read over and over, so thoroughly it leaves the page and lives inside of us, is the key to escaping both doubt and despair. What's interesting to me is if you keep reading that part, after they leave the jail cell, they end up at an iron gate, and the lock is very, very hard to open with that same key. I don't want to get too much into it right now because we're going to save it, but it's a beautiful portion of the book, and it points to a real amazing truth, especially for anyone who's suffered with depression, for anyone who has been saved from spiraling out of control by the perfect piece of scripture coming to mind. And John Bunyan knew both. It was said that if you poked Bunyan, he bled scripture, and Pilgrim's Progress proved it. I very much look forward to getting to that part, but we need to read a whole bunch of the book first. Okay, so next week, we're going to get into the actual book itself. And what's nice is we finally get some page numbers, so I can tell you what to read more easily. Next week, we're going to read the entire first chapter, The Jail, from pages 1 to 3. Remember to tell your friends to get the free book from the link on my website and join us for the study. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. Remember, you can find all the links to the things I've been talking about, more episodes of of interest, and a bunch of other good stuff, like my free books, on the website at artofthechristianninja.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, liking, rating, and subscribing really helps me out. So does taking a minute to share with your friends on social media or through email or whatever. And so does sending me your questions, comments, and ideas for more interesting things that I can include in the podcast. If you want me to keep up what I'm doing here, consider supporting me financially through a PayPal donation through the button on the website. I can only keep my content flowing with support from listeners like you. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. 